Matthew West. Wow. That's, uh, I think, a very, very powerful song. So let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the forgiveness that you have given us. And as we go through this psalm where David confesses his sin, Lord, and you forgave and restored him, Lord, speak to each one of us, Lord, that we can receive that forgiveness. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I am going to be reading from the New Living Translation today. I love the way it put it. Um, Our study was actually in the New King James Version, but this will be the New Living. And it starts out with verse 1. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is out of sight. So we've missed the mark. We've all fallen short. Amen. Uh, Romans 3.23 even says that, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what is the solution? Well, we're supposed to confess it. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then it goes on in Psalm 103:12. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So that sounds like he will give us a completely clean slate if we just confess it. So. What does confession mean? Number one, it means admitting that we've sinned and asking forgiveness for that sin. And then it also means repenting from the sin. Repent means to turn away from. Um, You haven't repented if you go right back to it without a thought. In other words, you say, I'm so sorry, Lord, that I'm living with my boyfriend. But then you go right back home and you live with your boyfriend. Okay, that's not true repentance, is it? He's saying that is not what confession truly is what he wants is to say lord i am so sorry that i have sinned against you i will not do this again and you find you know if you're living with your boyfriend you go find another place to live so that is what repentance means and you can ask all day for the lord to forgive you if you don't truly mean it mean it and want to turn away you should be miserable when you sin if you go if you do something against god's will it should give you a knot in your stomach that you can't wait to get rid of. Amen? So um, it's important that you turn away from it. You should hate it to the point where you don't want to have anything to do with it again. So it is a sort of confession that brings the forgiveness from the Lord when you truly turn away from it. And then he goes on in verse 2. He says, Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Google guilt. You know, I got 8 million hits. I don't think I'll go through them all. Um, (laughs) But most of it is about what guilt causes. I was amazed. Did you know that guilt causes depression, eating problems, sleeping problems, back and neck pain, pain in general, digestive problems, anger, irritation, sadness, remorse, fatigue, breathlessness, blood pressure, um, heart problems, memory loss, weight loss, weight gain. Anxiety, panic, respiratory problems, mental illness, hallucinations, delusions, and general loss of drive or interest in life. That's just a few of them. That was just, and I'm going, oh my goodness. So guilt is a problem in our society. Of course, God had the solution, which is he sent his son Jesus to um, to die for those sin. And all we have to do is confess them and God remo- removes that guilt. 
Not that there won't be consequences. And David had many, many consequences for his sin here. But the guilt will be taken away. That's a promise. But guilt is very destructive. And God knew this. He knows that um, as long as we hold on to our sin, our lives will be turned up down, upside down. Um, we won't function the way he intends for us to function. And that is why he sent Nathan to David to confront that sin because he knew it was going to just eat him alive. And so he doesn't want that. He wants the best for you. He wants the, the best plans for you. And so he can't, he can't cause the best in you if you won't give over a sin that you might have. And so he knew that David was dying inside because of the guilt. And he goes, David goes on to say in verse 3, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. So in this case, the, the guilt was causing weight loss. And so um, that's kind of how I took it. He couldn't eat. And he says, And I groaned all day long. He was miserable. And we don't know exactly how long this took. Um, I know it was probably over a, a few months because, as you remember, Bathsheba did become pregnant through this um, relationship David had with her. And so um, I know it lasted probably at least nine months that he was pretty miserable. He says, day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. In other words, he really felt like, I need to confess this. I need to confess this. But he had, he was determined to hang on to it. He was like, they go on to say, he was like that stubborn mule. He says, my strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. He was just miserable. So David was being affected physically. Um, this is what guilt does. And uh, we begin to lose strength, not only mentally, but physically. Um, and um, just as my list suggested, and he never got a reprieve from that guilt. It was there day and night. He would wake up with it. He would try to sleep at night with it. He just wasn't getting away from it. So um, sin won't let us rest. That's why they say there's no rest for the wicked. You know, I tried to find that in the Bible. I Googled everything. I'm not Googled, but I have this really cool program, and it's like Google. But I typed in rest for the wicked, and it says in, in my Bible program. And all you have to do, I mean, it would bring up everything that said wicked and everything that said rest. But I never found rest for the wicked. So if anybody knows where that's at, I would love to know. But um, I do know that there is no rest for the wicked, uh, especially as a child of God, because he can't let you continue because your fellowship with him is broken. And it's kind of like when you have an argument with a best friend or something. You know, you have that strained relationship and you see her in the grocery store and you hide behind another aisle. You know, you just you just can't deal with it. Your fellowship is broken. Have you ever had that happen? Or if you're married and you and your husband have had an argument, it's like you, the whole house is in unrest, isn't it? Until you make up. It is the same way. When we transgress against the Lord, he goes, I want to have fellowship with you, but, you know, we've had a disagreement here. You want to do what I say you should not do. And it's not because he wants to lord it over you. He knows what's best. He says, don't do these things. These are sin. And the reason why I don't want you to do them because they are destructive. They will destroy you. And so that relationship with him is broken when we have sinned. And so he says, finally, in verse 
I can't remember. It's a little tiny five, I think. So, <laughs> finally, I confessed all my sin to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Oh, happy day. Or to, to quote Ruthie, woo you know. Um, I like what he says. I will confess my rebellion because that's really what sin is. Um, when you tell a child not to do something and they do it anyway, isn't that just rebellion? I mean, they're like little sinners running around, aren't they? They just they want to push the envelope. You tell them, no, you can't have another cookie. The minute you turn your back, they're sneaking another cookie. That's rebellion. And so, you know, we're just that way. We're trying to steal cookies. Um, but it's a desire to do what you want instead of what God wants to do. And always remember that if you ask forgiveness, it will be forgiven. There's no doubt. Always keep that in your mind. The, the slate is wiped clean. If you feel guilt afterwards, it's the enemy trying to get you down. He's the one that's going to uh, uh, get in your head and say you're not worth anything. Just remember that. He's the one that will make you feel uh, guilt after you have confessed your sins. So don't listen to him. He's a punk. Um, And uh, it's not like when we ask forgiveness from someone we have wronged. They may choose not to forgive you. But that's not God. He will always forgive, no matter what. If you ask forgiveness, he promises to forgive you. So how can he do that? Well, obviously because Jesus paid for that sin. The price has been paid. And that's something we need to remember. Also, when we're tempted to sin, and this is something that really had an impact on me, whenever I'm tempted, I remember that Jesus, if I sin, that is one more sin that Jesus has to take upon himself. I oftentimes would liken it to just think of the person that you love most in the world. And every time you sin, they get slapped in the face. That's what it's like. That's what it's like. And I went, oh, my goodness, I don't want to do that. You know, so um, it, it's a serious thing. So he goes on. To say in verse 6, therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time, that they may not drown in the flood waters of judgment. When our relationship with God is restored, we are no longer tossed by the tide. A great example of this is we're watching Hurricane Sandy on the East Coast. Have any of you watched some of those scenes? I mean, it picked up the whole side of a house in, in New York and washed it out to sea. And um, and she's just, I mean, sorry, Sandy. But <laughs> we're not talking about this, Sandy. But she, we just call it a she. You know, they, they, I like the, what they do with hurricanes these days. You know, they do a girl name and a boy name, girl name, boy name. So it's not always a female hurricane. So I like that. Okay. Because, you know, some men can be hurricanes too. But um, so no offense, Sandy, you're not a hurricane. Okay. You're a very gentle, quiet spirit. So, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, these buildings, the reason why they're easily picked up is because they're made of wood. They're not on a strong foundation. However, if there was a strong castle there with a block wall surrounding it, it wouldn't be tossed 
by the waves, would it? It would just crash on the wall, and then it would go back out to sea. It would have no effect. Well, that's kind of what David is saying here. He says, as long as I have clear communication with you, our relationship with the Lord is as solid as a rock, then the waves that come in from life, those trials that come through, as long as our relationship is solid, they won't affect us, just like a rock wall. Just think of it, you know, as long as we're walking in his, his will, we have that rock wall protecting us from the hurricanes. But, boy, the minute we break that fellowship, our wall turns to sticks. And so you might as well have toothpicks laid out there. So um, that is something that David was trying to um, uh, portray here. He says, you won't drown in the floodwaters. You won't drown. And so... He says, continuing on in verse 7, For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. I love this song. Have you you ever heard that song, You Are My Hiding Place? And uh, I was blessed years and years. I was in high school, so I was 16, 17. I don't remember exactly what year it was. I actually got to listen to Corey Tim Boom in person. And she was the cutest little lady. And as she poured out her testimony, what had happened to her is during uh, World War II, she was a Christian, and she would hide Jews in her house. She felt that that's what the Lord wanted her to do. However, um, one day she was caught, her and her family, and they were all taken to um, the concentration camps with the Jews. And there she stayed. And she was the only one of her mother, father, and two other sisters. She was the only one that survived. And so she truly learned um, what it was like to have God as her hiding place. I mean, that was her strength. I mean, that's what kept her alive for four years was just being in that hiding place uh, of the Lord's you know, block wall, even though they might take her life. And she had the most wonderful testimony. Her book is called The Hiding Place. So if you ever want to listen to an amazing amazing biography um, uh, grab a copy of that but uh, she was confronted years later she was speaking in Europe uh, because I think she was she was Dutch I do believe or something like that so um, years later she was confronted by this guy who walked up to her and she immediately recognized him and it wasn't really confrontation that's not the right word a man walked up to her after she had spoken, and she she uh, uh, looked at him and immediately recognized him. He was a guard in the concentration camp, and he had to go up and ask forgiveness. And she says, you know what? He was the man who had killed her family. Well, he was part of, you know, that whole thing, and he was supposed to have been one of the, the cruelest guards. But now... He had found the Lord, and he came up to ask for forgiveness. Amazing testimony. And she says she hiccuped for a minute, you know, because it's like, how can I forgive this person? He did so much damage. But she did. She found, she found uh, the forgiveness in her heart because God gave it to her. But anyway, um, the great benefit uh, to having that hiding place is, um, again, that unhindered relationship with him. 
And he wants to give you that rest. That's what I love. It's just like, I need to have that rest. Matthew 11:28, uh, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what God wants to have in your life, in my life. He says, and that can't happen unless you are completely free and clear of unconfessed sin. So he says it's so important. That burden will be heavy as long as you don't forgive this or uh, ask forgiveness for the sin. And uh, there's victory in his in his arms. There's peace in his arms. That's what what David's trying to tell us. It's not worth it. You know, he says, I totally blew it, and I was hanging on to it. I didn't confess it, and I knew I should. I was miserable day and night. And he says, and then finally I confessed it. And finally my my heart, my mind was at rest. My soul was at rest. I, he says, I had peace. Even when... The storms continued. He had peace. And I'm reminded of a wonderful story about a king. He was a godly king. And um, it was during a time of great turmoil in his kingdom. And he says, I need, he says, I want a picture to put, you know, in my throne room that when I get stressed, I can look at it and know peace. And so he, he got all these painters, all these artists together to, uh, to, to paint all these wonderful, peaceful paintings. And they brought in paintings like, you know, a nice quiet meadow with little flowers, a flowing stream, you know, a garden. And, you know, he's going, nope, 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 that's not it. He says, that, that doesn't bring me peace. That doesn't bring me peace. And so finally this one artist, he brought in this picture, and it shows uh, – Thunder clouds and lightning crashing and these jagged peaks being hammered by a winter storm and water rushing. And he's going, he's going, okay, at first he's going, well, that's kind of weird. Why would they give this to me? This isn't peaceful. Until he saw and nestled in one of those big jagged trees being pummeled by the winds was this little bird sitting quietly in a nest, all, you know, curled up, and she's got her wings over her little baby bird. He says, that's it. That's where I find peace. Because it reminded him, even though there's a storm outside, as long as his relationship was right with the Lord, he would find that peace and that comfort, like that little mama bird was giving her babies in the midst of a storm. Verse uh, Verse 8 says, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Isn't that a wonderful promise? It says, I will guide you along the best pathway. Not the easiest pathway, the best one. And that's where we have to truly trust him. That he wants to do that best pathway for us. And sometimes we forget that he created us. He made us. Exactly the way he wants you to be. You know, sometimes we're not happy with what we look like, you know, uh, what we act like. And, you know, he's saying, no, I wired you. I like the way you are. I like you with red hair. Oh, sorry, Sandy. <laughs> I'm just picking on Sandy. No, I just like, but see, it, oftentimes, you know, people will say, oh, I wish I had your straight hair. And I'm going, well, I wish I had your curly hair. You know, we're never satisfied with exactly the person God made us to be, huh? But he says, no, you are beautiful. I created you that way. I want you to be exactly like that. 
So, um, and he, he knows exactly how he wired us, what we need, what makes us tick, what upsets us, what makes us happy. He knows everything about us. So why do we constantly strain against giving him complete control of our lives? We want to grab it back. We want, no, oh, no, I know what's best for my life. You know, it's just pride. We think we know best for us, isn't it? They say, no, I know what's best. And I want to give you the best. And it's a wonderful promise that he's going to guide us. We just, um, you know, we were not made to live a life without him. He, we must have him. We need his Holy Spirit guiding us along the way. We need him to watch over us. I can't even imagine what people are going through right now who don't know him, who don't have that hope. I go, how do you survive? That's why this whole election thing is so crazy. I mean, you see so many people so passionate, you know, one way or the other, you know, and it's like, you know, just you need to just calm down and know that God's in control and that ultimately whatever happens, you know, whether you got a good guy or a bad guy in office, you know what? It's it's God's will. He remember he puts people into office that he wants into office for his purposes, and we have to remember that. Um, not that you shouldn't say. Um, I have. I was talking to Brandon. This is my oldest son, and he's down at the Bible College, and he says, and, and Brandon he loves politics. Has since he was, oh gosh, ten, twelve. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I am, okay, in Jeff and I, we are passionate. We feel like it is our duty, you know, to be involved because, you know, they are the rulers of our country. And so, you know, ultimately we do trust that God ha- has it under control. But Brandon was saying that he was talking to some of his fellow students, and a lot of them just said, eh, God's got it under control. I'm not going to vote. And it's like, and he says, how can you say that? You know, <laughs> and, uh, and it's sometimes we do that. It's like, you know, whatever, you know, whatever God's going to do, you know, he's going to do, which is true. But that doesn't take away our responsibilities. We are required to do um, what he calls us to do. We need to listen to that still, quiet voice in our hearts that says, don't do this. You know, um, you know, somebody had mentioned this morning about television shows. I actually went through that exact same thing just recently. You know, there was a show that I enjoyed, and it's not like it was a horrible, you know, I don't go for anything like, you know, Desperate Housewives. But, you know, every once in a while there's a show, and you feel that little tug, and you go, you really shouldn't watch that. This is not profitable for you. And I had that very thing happen. It's like, you know, you're right. It's not profitable for me. I don't need to watch it. And so, you know, you have to listen to those still, quiet voices. And I knew that if I watched the show, I would be disobedient. I would be in rebellion to him. So I don't want that. And so even something as simple as a television show that seems to be harmless, but the Lord knows that it is not good for my head, my brain. And so he just says, it's not good for you. You shouldn't watch it. Okay, you know, I'll miss the show, but I I trust you completely. So anyway, he goes on to say, do not be like a senseless mule or horse. I feel like saying, oh, and (laughs) oh, I have been a mule. I mean, sometimes I am so stubborn and the Lord's had to kind of, you know, beat me like he does a mule. Uh, but that needs a bit or a bridle to keep it under control. 
God doesn't want to have to put a bit in your mouth. He really doesn't. But you know what? He will if that helps you keep things under control. Um, did you know the interesting thing about sheep is that long ago a shepherd, you know, because sheep were stubborn, and I love the fact that God talks about us as sheep, uh, we're really stupid, and oftentimes we don't know what's good for us. But a shepherd would take a sheep that constantly wanders off. And there are some of us that are like that. We constantly want to wander off. And he says that uh, or a shepherd would actually break the leg of the sheep. I know, that sounds cruel. But he knows that if he cripples the leg, the sheep won't wander off. It'll stay within the herd. It'll understand that it's crippled. Therefore, it'll stay within the safety of the flock now. Whereas before, it was wandering away, and whenever they would wander away, they would get picked off by predators. So really, what is the most cruel thing? That they get you know, ripped to shreds by a predator, or that it has to endure this pain of a broken leg that heals and leaves them crippled? God doesn't want to do that to us, but he will if he has to. Oh, I don't want to have to have my legs busted just to keep me. It's like, no, 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 okay, Lord, I won't do that. That hurts. But you know what? I've, you know, spiritually speaking, I've had my legs busted. I know exactly what that feels like. But you know what? It got me back into the fold. It keeps me, you know, on the straight and narrow because I don't want to go outside again and have to have that, that chastening. So David here is saying that's what he was like, and don't do that. Don't be that way. Um, he was stubborn to the point that God had to take drastic measures. And, um, and just always remember that when he does chasten you, it is for your own good, uh, just like chastening a child. Hebrews 12.6, it's kind of a long scripture, but I would like to read it. He says, for the Lord disciplines, this is, I'm sorry, Hebrews 12.6, beginning Hebrews 12.6. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means you are an illegitimate and you are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they could now, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It is painful, but afterwards there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. That pretty much says it very, very clear. If he loves you, which he does, he will discipline you if you stray. So verse 10, continuing in our psalm, Many sorrows have come, on, come to the wicked, wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. David is now comparing his life to the life of the ungodly. So... Um, when put this way, it's so simple. The choice is simple. We have either we have many sorrows, which is life without God, and that would be horrible. You'd have no peace, no true comfort, no absolutes, no truth. I can't even imagine what it'd be like. 
or we can surround ourselves with God's unfailing love. And the best way to achieve this is through obedience to God. That is so easy to say, so tough to do, isn't it? Because we have to deal with our flesh. We all do. It's that, that, that fleshly desires that we have. And whoever you feed the most is going to be the one who is stronger. I liken it to, so let's say you have two dogs. One's called the spirit. One's called the flesh. You know, here's a good idea. If you have two dogs, rename them. And you see what, <laughs> see what happens if you feed, if you feed spirit, he's going to grow really strong and healthy, isn't he? And if you starve the flesh, it's going to get weak. And it'll be like a bag of bones. However, if the reverse is, is true, then you have the flesh, which you're constantly feeding. You know, and we know what feeds our own flesh, don't we? You know, it could be shopping, it could be television, it could be movies, it could be people, it could be power, you know, who name, you know, whatever your fleshly food is. If you keep feeding that, it will be the stronger because you can't you can have it both ways. You can't feed the flesh and the spirit. One is going to be starved if the other one is fed. And so you don't want to starve your spirit. That is so important. If you starve it, it's going to be weak, and you will be mentally weak, spiritually weak. So be careful of that. So now in verse 11 he says, So rejoice in the Lord and be glad. All you who obey him shout for joy, all whose hearts are pure. So David ends this psalm with an exhortation to obey. Again, when you hear that still, small voice. And you know what? God is such a gentleman. He's not screaming and yelling in your ears, is he? It's always so quiet and so soft. You really shouldn't do that, sweetie. Trust me, I know. You shouldn't do that. But sometimes, you know, oh, well, you know, I need to be screamed at. I kind of wish God would scream, you know, no, kind of like we do with uh, kids. Or like I do with my dog, you know, if she's dragging something out the doggy door again, you know, no, I yell really loud. And she goes, oh, okay. You know, I kind of liken myself just like my little yellow lab that's destroyed my home. You know, she, <laughs> she uh, you know, if I, she is so stubborn that saying, no, sweetie, don't tear up the couch anymore. She, she'll tear you know, but if I yell at her really loud, then she, she hears. But I don't want to be that way. I don't want God to have to yell at me. And so listen for that still, quiet voice and obey it when you hear it. So going back to the, the song that was played, um, Forgiveness by Matthew West. The story behind that song was he, it was written for a friend who um, was a mom and her daughter was killed by a drug driver. And for years she lived with, you know, she could not forgive what this man had done. Even though, that's why he says, even though the, the judge and the jury said that she had a right to hold a grudge, she knew in her heart that she was sinning. And so it wasn't until she visited him in prison, which he was now spending, spending 22 years in prison for it, I don't have any idea why he got such a harsh sentence, but he did, 22 years. And she saw him face to face and forgave him. That took a lot. That took a lot. But that's what the song's written about. And so it is so much easier to forgive others when we truly grasp how much we have been forgiven. 
that's how I have been able to to make that transition to forgive others. No matter what they've done, is to understand exactly how sinful I am, how wicked my own heart is, that I go, gosh, Lord, you forgave me so much. How can I not, in turn, forgive those that have wronged me? And so, um, don't want to be a stubborn mule. Don't want to have to have the Lord break your legs. Um, just give it to God, confess it, repent of it. But, um, you know, sin is sin. There's so many sins that we can commit. I mean, it's endless. The imagination is endless. And so always make sure. It should be like the, one of the first things you do in the morning. Even if you don't have time to, to spend with the Lord, you know, like in the Word of God or something like that in the morning, start your day fresh by confessing, Lord, if there is anything that is hindering my relationship with you, Bring it to mind so that I can confess it, so that there is nothing hindering my walk, my hedge, my block wall, my rock wall, because he is the rock, so that I don't get pummeled by this life. And so don't leave yourself vulnerable by having unconfessed sin and not having the, the benefit of his Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, what a powerful psalm this is, Lord. Help us to apply it to our lives, Lord. Help us uh, to confess anything that is not of you, even the, the small, small things, Lord. They're all big to you because they hinder our relationship with you. So, Father, just bring those things to mind so that we can all just have that joy and that peace that David spoke of with you so that you can guide us correctly down the path that you would hope us, that you want us to go. So we thank you, Lord. We ask that as we now divide up into our groups that we, we dig into this even further and find all the little nuggets that you have for us in this song. We thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.